This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Joe Bevilacqua and New Chapel in Grand Rapids, Michigan. For more information, please visit newchapel.com. Y'all doing good? Good to see all of you. Uh, you. You made it. You're here. I know we only got like an inch or two, but that's always a factor. So you're here. You braved it. How were the roads? Not so bad. They were not great when I went in, but... Yeah, I see a little so-so. Well, I'm excited about today. Uh, we believe here at New Chapel that God speaks today. And so if you're in the room, go ahead, take out a, a notebook, a notepad, your copy of your Bible, uh, something to take notes. And I believe God has something to speak to you exactly where you're at today. I'm excited, honored that I have the opportunity to give the fourth installment of Our Brazen Jesus. And I've loved this series. I really have. And we were in a staff meeting in November, and we were talking about what are we going to be preaching and teaching on after the new year. And Pastor Joe let us know, hey, this is what the meeting's on. So I'm thinking, you know, new year, new me, that, that typical January series content that every single church preaches every single January on repeat until the end of time. But I was uh, surprised, excited that before anybody said anything in the meeting, Pastor Joe started off with, and we're not going to be preaching that January series that every church preaches every single January. And, and so we were going through, we're talking about different content ideas. We're talking about, okay, we could preach through these books of the Bible after the new year. And we landed on our brazen Jesus. And we selected that word brazen on purpose. And I love that. And I love it for, for a couple different reasons. The first is, is we knew that religious people would hate it. And so I've really enjoyed that part of brazen Jesus. And then also, I think that a lot of us have uh, somewhat of a, an incorrect view, perspective, lens that we see Jesus through often times. But one definition of the word brazen is bold and shameless. I like that. I think that describes our Savior pretty well. Bold and shameless Jesus. I think in culture that word has a negative connotation to it. That's certainly not what we, may, what we mean. We mean bold and shameless. And I think that we need to stop pretending like Jesus is safe. And I think that we typically like our our heroes safe. We like to paint them in a picture that is safe and, and doesn't offend us. And, and I think about uh, heroes of mine, and I think about Billy Graham. You know, what, what an absolute hero in the faith. Where would the, the church of Jesus Christ be without Dr. Graham? I don't know. He was bold. He was shameless. He moved the kingdom forward. But I hope that Billy Graham isn't just remembered for the powerful and the, the incredible invitations for Jesus that he gave. And I hope that his, his legacy is also remembered for the barriers that he broke down on earth in our culture. And, and while it's good, listen to me, it's good to listen to his sermons, listen to his teaching. But his legacy and example isn't just limited to what he spoke from a pulpit. I read about what he did in Chattanooga, Tennessee in 1953, and it was one of the most brazen things I had ever heard about, where he was at his crusade, and he went into the crowd and tore down the barriers that they had put up to keep white people and black people separate, and he looked at the white ushers and said, you can either leave these down or have the crusade without me. That's pretty brazen. That's pretty bold. I like, I like that version. And, and, and we do this all the time. We do this with Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which was we celebrate his life. That was on Monday. I'm sure you saw it on Facebook. And we every year hear the same three quotes. You know, I've, I've decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. The same three quotes. I, I had a dream, the same three quotes. I've been to the mountain. But, but Dr. King, he did more than go to the mountain and have a dream. 
He went to prison. He was persecuted for standing up to the dysfunction in society and the culture. And I think that, that it's almost like we try to make them a mascot or like, like a toy that has a string on it. You know what I'm talking about? I, I, I had a, uh, a Woody toy uh, growing up from Toy Story. Anybody else grow up in the 90s like me or maybe just haven't been living under a rock for the last 25 years? Anyways, uh, the Woody toy where you pull it and, you know, I got a snake in my boot. That, that toy, that was a bad impression. Oh, that's a tough crowd, everybody. That was, okay, there we go. But I'm afraid we've done that to Jesus. I'm afraid we've done that to Jesus where we've got it down to where there's a few, few things that we like him to say. You know, love people. You know, don't judge, turn the other cheek. And there's a few images of Jesus that, that we like to portray him as where it's shepherd Jesus, sweetie pie Jesus with a harp and he's stroking a lamb. And we like that version of Jesus. And we even hear people say, well, that doesn't sound very much like Jesus. Did you ever read any of the things that Jesus actually said? Okay, here's a snippet. He says, woe to you Pharisees. With blind eyes, strain over a net and swallow a camel, you are of your father the devil. You ever see that on a coffee mug? You are of your father the devil. See, my grandma didn't have that on the, on the, on the refrigerator. But we like a safe Jesus. One time Jesus went to the temple and he was seeing the poor people being exploited. What they were doing was they were taking the sacrifices. A lot of people, just for some context, a lot of people would travel to the temple or the synagogue, and they would be making journeys to go and uh, sacrifice, worship God, make an atonement, right? Old Testament, a covering for their sin. They'd make a blood sacrifice with an animal, maybe a pigeon or something like that. And what they had done, you know, you're traveling 20, 30 miles. We think about hopping the Prius and going the high. They were walking. You can't take sacrifices with you. That's a day's journey. They don't have refrigerators or anything like that. So they need to go to the temple, buy the sacrifice there, and then do what they came to do, worship God, make the atonement. But they were being exploited. The temple had become more about uh, power and profit than it was about the presence of God. And Jesus saw this, and guess what he did? He prayed about it. And guess what Jesus did? He, he posted on Facebook about it. No, 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 no. Your Savior went outside the temple, and i got to imagine my holy imagination. I'm thinking about a Jesus who is the, the, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, making the most perfect whip in the history of mankind. He fashions a whip. The Bible says he goes into the temple courts, flips op over their tables, drives them out with a whip. Amen, somebody? That's your Savior. That's pretty brazen. And, and, and Jesus did that. To cleanse the temple because they were taking advantage of the people in their day who came to worship God. The Bible says that he answered them not a word because he was the word. Jesus got so mad at death that he decided to overturn it. Jesus got so cramped in his grave that after the price had been paid, listen, how, listen to how brazen he is. After the price had been paid, after he came and did what he came to do after his resurrection, the Bible says that he folded the linens that they wrapped him in. You know what that means? In Jewish tradition, in, in that culture, folding the linens at a meal means I will be back. But when he comes back, he's not coming back as the, as the lamb. He's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Come on, give God praise this morning. So let's get started in the message. I want to talk to you today for a few moments about confronting comfortable dysfunction. And if you have your Bible, go ahead, turn with me to Mark's gospel. That is going to be really the main source of scripture that I'm going to be teaching out of today. And, and I love Mark's gospel. Uh, Mark's gospel is wonderful, and it's probably my favorite. I love all of uh, the four gospel accounts, 
uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each of them have a different audience and a different theme. But, but I like Mark's gospel. I'm going to take scripture out of there. And I think it's interesting that Mark's gospel does not start with the birth of Christ. I, I wonder if Mark does that so we will not be attached to Jesus, to that picture of him as a baby. Do you remember that movie with the race car drivers? I like baby Jesus the best. you remember that? I think most of us do. Some, maybe not most. Some of us do like that version the best. And Mike, he, Mark, he writes in terms of action. And in this gospel account, taught, we get more of a picture. Mark is writing, one scholar that I studied says that he writes with a paintbrush, that he'd rather show you than tell you. And, and I think that is awesome because of the principle that the highest proclamation of the gospel is not explanation, it's demonstration. Because I, I know people who can explain all about propitiation and atonement but treat their wife so badly that why would I want a Jesus who can't stop you from treating your family like crap? You know what I'm talking about? Amen, somebody? And so we're going to get into it today. Turn to Mark chapter 1 in verse 16. The Bible says, and as he, this is talking about Jesus, this is the moment where he's calling his disciples, as he Walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, that's the man who Jesus would change his name to Peter, and Andrew, his brother, carrying a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately, which is Mark's favorite phrase in, in, in his gospel account, immediately, another translation uh, would say, without delay, immediately they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also, uh, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. So the first commonality that I'm seeing in, in the text here is that we got Simon and Peter or uh, 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 Simon and Andrew, we got James and John, and, and watch what they had to do to come in to their calling. Verse 18, they left their nets. And then verse 20, they left their father. Just If it's not on the screen, just keep trekking with me. They left their father. So the first pattern that I'm seeing emerging here in Mark 1 is that when you want to follow Jesus, when you really want to follow Christ, it means that coming into my calling means coming out of my comfort zone. Write that down. Coming into your calling means coming out of your comfort zone. And that is the entire context of Christianity, that Christ did not come to make us comfortable. And I think back when I was writing this, I was thinking about when I first received my call into ministry and I was a 19-year-old young man, and I didn't have a clue what that meant. I didn't have a clue what it was going to look like. I had no idea where God was going to lead me. And I certainly didn't know how difficult at times it was going to be to follow him. All I knew was that ministry looked attractive. Uh I was actually at that time just a usher at New Chapel and just serving on the go team. And uh, kind of from the outside looking in, they made ministry look good. Like they were just enjoying every minute of it. Like it was just wonderful. And I thought that that was going to be a road that was filled with constant affirmation and paved in comfort. Not the case. That was not at all what I found. And just for a little bit of context with my life is I, I didn't grow up in church. And uh, when I was real young but then spent a long period of time outside of the church 
and at that point, I was 19 years old, and I had just uh, given up playing college baseball, and I was a, a customer service uh, representative at a Tommy's Express car wash. So you could tell God was doing big things. I'm working at the car wash. And all I knew was I had received a call from God. And I have good news. If you're under the sound of my voice, you have a call from God too. You have a call and a purpose from God too. Can I show you? Can I show you? Okay, Jeremiah 1.5. The Bible says that before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Ephesians 2.10. The Bible says that we, everybody say we. Our, oh, that was we. Everybody say we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Last one, Romans 12, verses 4 through 8. And I want you to, to sink into this scripture right here. The Bible says that for just as each of us, everybody say each, each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. They don't all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. There's unity there, one body. And each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts. Everybody say different. One more time. Everybody say different. Okay, there we go. Different gifts according to the same grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. With your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encourage, then encourage. Do you see the theme here? Do you see the theme? If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it di diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I love how the Bible's illustrating that we're all called to serve God and His church in some capacity. And how He's going to do it is according to your gifts and strengths. Because one thing I know is everybody is. Uh, uh, what does it say? The Bible says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're uniquely created on purpose with a purpose. And we're all different, unique. I don't have the same gifts that my wife has. I don't have the same gifts that Bessie has or Blaine has. Uh, they don't have the same gifts that I have. And I certainly don't have the same gifts of, as our worship team. You do not want to hear me sing. I'm telling you right now, sometimes I got to lower the volume just to bless everybody else in the room because, you know, when the Bible says just make a joyful noise unto the Lord, it's joyful. It just sounds awful. And so that's where I'm at. And, and for me, stepping into my calling meant coming out of my comfort zone in so many different ways. And, and I went to the University of Findlay for two years. It's in Ohio. And I'll give you permission to boo Ohio right now. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, you are per you're permitted because it's the worst state in the whole world. And I'm so sorry if you live there. If you grew up in Ohio, we're going to have prayer partners at the front after church today. Oh, I'm so sorry, Bessie. I'm so who, who prays for the prayer partner? I don't know. Right. But I was at that university for a couple of years. I took a public speaking class. And hated it. If I'm being real honest with you, I had a fear of public speaking. It was nearly impossible for me to get up for five minutes in front of 17 people in that class. My, my knees would be shaking. My voice is shaking. I'm sweating bullets up there. I mean, it was awful. But when you submit to the process that God has you on and you just allow him to use you, and stretch you, and teach you, you, you will be so surprised at how God will use you when you submit yourself to the process. He'll use you in ways that you can't even imagine. But it takes one thing, obedience. It takes obedience. And if there's one word in our culture today that people don't like, it's obedience. Nobody is going to tell me what to do. But God requires obedience. But here's the great thing is he'll bless you every step along the way when you're obedient to hear. Say amen, somebody. Still, it's uncomfortable. And I remember there was one Sunday, and I had just been an intern 
for about a year, and I was in the front row, and it's worship, and I made a decision in my heart a long time ago that I'm going to be a worshiper. I don't care what it sounds like. I'm going to worship God, and so it's a Sunday morning. I'm 20 years old, and uh you know, I I never said anything from the platform in any capacity, and it's the second to last song of worship, and Pastor Joe did something to me that was very uncomfortable. I was worshiping, you know, I got my eyes closed, and my, my hands are lifted, and I'm seeking the Lord, and I feel a tap on my left shoulder. I look over, and there's Pastor Joe. He's got a smirk on his face and a handheld microphone in his hand. He looks at me, kind of gets close to me. I think he saw the sheer terror in my eyes. And he says, okay, just real calm. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go up there for two to five minutes and just preach a little bit. And then you're going to pray. And then you're going to welcome the people, have them greet each other. I mean, he's just cool as a cucumber when he's trying to, I'm having a panic attack at this time. You're just going to go up there and pray and welcome the people, have them greet each other, and, uh, and then I'll come up, and that'll be the transition. In that moment, I wanted to throw up. The, you know with that pit in your stomach? Anybody know what I'm talking about? That pit in your stomach? Yeah, I see a wave back there. Abs- that is what I felt to the max. I had never spoken in front of a crowd from this, uh, from this platform in my life to that point. And it was, uh, well, to be honest with you, I don't really remember what I said. Uh, that might be a good thing because I don't know if it made sense or not. But what is important is that I had somebody who was willing to see me through a process of getting outside of my comfort zone to be used and stretched by God. And here's the thing. You might not be called to preach, and that's okay. But where is God? And I really do want you to ask yourself this. Where is God calling you right now to get outside of your comfort zone? Where in your life are you looking and feeling like, you feel that pull, but you think, well, that might be uncomfortable. And I, I want to tell you this, comfort can be dysfunctional. Comfort can be dysfunctional. But stepping into your calling, listen to me, it won't be easy or comfortable, but it will be worth it. And you will see the glory of God come to pass in your life. Amen, somebody? And I want you to know if you're a Christian in this room, God has uniquely designed you and has called you to serve in his body, in his church, in some capacity. In some capacity. That's why you hear us all the time talking about New Chapel Connect and the Go Team and getting plugged in. is because we know that the most fulfilling thing that we can have in our entire lives is to serve God, to give him all the glory, to reach more people for the gospel, to see people receiving their breakthrough and people getting born again and people getting baptized. And that's because of the GO team, the team of volunteers who serve every week. If you're in this room, you might see them. You probably you see the worship team and you probably see greeters. There's a lot of people you don't see who serve week after week, day in, day out, and they're doing it for the kingdom of God. And so... Where is God calling you to get outside of your comfort zone? To step into your calling, you need to forsake your comfort. And most people want both simultaneously. Abs and no planks. A divine calling and no discomfort. And I think that the problem with a lot of our relationships with Christ is that we do not understand the, the primary function of Christ in our lives. Oftentimes, we associate Christ with comfort. We come to church for comfort, and people will leave a church because they'll say, I was uncomfortable. You know, people left Jesus one time because he said something that was very uncomfortable. 
he fed them food, comfort food. And then he said something that made him uncomfortable. He said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. We're out of here. Where that, that, that made me uncut that whole cannibalism thing, yeah, I, that made me feel uncomfortable. And it's awesome because in order to understand our relationship, not just with Christ, but with other people, we need to understand the function of the relationship. How many know what I'm talking about? Because we won't be able to relate to people if we don't understand the nature of the relationship. And, and if I'm being honest, most of my dysfunction in my relationships are because I violated the nature of the relationship. And without understanding the nature or the primary function of the relationship, you will have relational frustration and dysfunction, and, and it'll, it'll be a bad result. And sometimes, honestly, it seems like the people in your life that you try to help the most, there ends up being more hurt in those relationships than any other relationships. And I've tried to, to help people and, and pour into people and meet with people who've already made the decision that they can't receive from me. And I know that you have those people in your life, too. And those people, they, they might be friends. They might be family members. They might be coworkers. But we need to reevaluate the function of why someone is in our life because otherwise it will be dysfunctional. I would ask if there's anybody in the room that has any relationships in their life that have dysfunction in it, but every hand in the room would go up. That's why we need to reevaluate the function of the relationship. I'll give you an example. The primary function of your relationship with Pastor Joe is not buddy, it's pastor. Amen? It's shepherd. It's not that you can't be his friend. He's a friendly dude. But the primary function of your relationship with Pastor Joe is pastor. Okay, another example, um, trying to make your kids your best friend, right? Any parents say amen? Right, yes, I heard that. I heard that, Aaron. Praise the Lord. It's not the primary function of the relationship. And the primary function of Jesus in his earthly ministry was not to comfort the people. It was confrontation. And I know you don't like that. I know you want Jesus to say comforting things and be a sweetie pie. But the primary function of Jesus was not to comfort the people. It was to confront the system. Remember, God is a God of systems. It was to confront the system of religion that had held the people in bondage and had imprisoned the people. And so this is different than the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, and he's talking to his disciples, and he says, this is King James Version, he says, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, I know you like that translation, the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So the primary, one of the, the primary functions of the Holy Spirit is comfort. But Jesus did not come to comfort. He came to confront. And so now we're going on in Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 1. We're going to keep on pressing forward in verse 21. The Bible says that then they, you know, Jesus comes. He gets his squad, right? If I may call them a squad. Uh, I don't mean to be disrespectful. He gets his circle, right? And he does not call the people who make him comfortable. He calls the people who are going to make him effective. And so they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and began to teach. And they were astonished at his teaching. Ooh, that's good. Preach, pastor. Amen. That's good. I mean, could you imagine Jesus preaching? It's going to be good. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority 
and not as the scribes. Now remember, the greatest proclamation of the gospel is not, demonstra- uh, is not explanation, it is demonstration. And when we're talking about this, I want to point out that coming into your calling, meaning coming out of your comfort zone, should be validated that for Jesus to save you, he had to step out of heaven. For Jesus to save you, to, for him to fulfill his calling as the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth, he had to lay the riches and the glory of heaven aside and come into our filth and fulfill his calling. And so we see in verse 23, we're going to continue in Mark 1. The Bible says, now there was a man in their synagogue. Whose synagogue? Whose synagogue? Oh, come on. Whose synagogue? Okay, there we go. Just making sure you're still trekking with me. In their synagogue, Jesus isn't, he's just a guest speaker. He's not the senior pastor. In their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Okay, pause. Before I keep going. Biblical context, right? Um, culture's different. Uh, you didn't just go to synagogue. It wasn't like today where you go on the first Sunday and Christmas and Easter. Uh, this man, uh, we have reason to believe that he had sat and listened to the teaching and the instruction. And as little as we know about him, we have reason to believe that he was a regular. Verse 24. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet. And come out of him. He didn't need a seance. He didn't need seven steps. Just the virtue of the power of the word of God made flesh drove the impure spirit out of this man. Say amen, somebody. And Jesus said, be quiet and come out of him. I don't think he he shouted it. I don't think he had to. Real authority can whisper and get its point across. But the spirit had to obey. It says that when the unclean spirit had convulsed him, another uh, translation said it it seized him, that he was having a seizure on the ground and cried out with a loud voice. He came out of him. Didn't need a shout. And the power of God is not always pretty. These people thought they were just going for a church service that day. Could you imagine? This man is shaking and convulsing on the ground. You know, I think sometimes we just, we want this nice clean path with roses and chrysanthemums. And we want a nice, clean, safe Jesus. But I want to tell you today that there's stuff in your life that will not come out unless it's confronted. Amen, somebody? It will not come out unless it's confronted. Jesus says, come out of him, you unpure, impure spirit. Now, here's the thing. What I can't figure out is why this man was able to be in their synagogue as long as he was possessed by a demon. And... Don't get caught up on, don't make this this Bible passage about demons. If you make this Bible passage about demons, you're going to miss the entire demonstration of Jesus' authority. But how long did he take this demon that he was possessed by to church where he was listening to the teaching and the instruction? But when Jesus showed up. I said when the Son of God showed up, when Jesus shows up, power shows up. When Jesus shows up, demons tremble. When Jesus shows up, dysfunction has nowhere to hide and nowhere to run. Come on. Can we give God praise for the chain-breaking power of Christ this morning? Come on, really praise him. 
And when I teach this, it is very easy, trust me, I understand, to disassociate ourselves with this man, right? I mean, how easy is that? Well, I'm not, I'm not demon-possessed. I got you. I got you. But we all have dysfunctions. We all have dysfunctions. And if I'm being honest with you, there's some dysfunctions that I've learned to love. And Christ came to confront our dysfunctions. And I don't love dysfunction and I don't love sin, but sometimes we can learn to love the way that it makes us feel. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Dysfunction can be comfortable. Dysfunction can be a snuggie. Remember those? Yeah. Here's the thing. Want to feel good quick? Uh, Criticize someone else's dysfunction that you can see that you don't happen to struggle with, and you'll feel good for a short while. Won't sustain you. Won't fulfill you. Won't confront your dysfunction. Might make you feel good for a little bit. And you'll see people who put all of their effort into focusing on other people's dysfunction. That's half the reason some of y'all are on Facebook. That reaction tells, that says everything I need to say about that. But what that does is it gives us an excuse not to confront the dysfunction in our lives. Just real honest preacher moment. Uh, a dysfunction that I have, not that much longer, is I, I will have imaginary arguments in my mind, and I'll go through entire fictitious situations where by the time I'm done thinking about it, I'm upset and offended and frustrated, and it never even happened in the first place. Am I the only crazy one? Come on, don't act like you haven't gotten comfortable in some of your dysfunction. Some of y'all have comfort food. Okay. Don't be all dietary about it. Some of you have comfort friends. Yeah, there it is. Some of you have people in your life who are good to you, but they are not good for you. And 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 one thing I was so I was, I'm writing this message yesterday and there was something, it was a dysfunction, and it came to my mind. I, it wasn't really in my notes, but I thought I'd share it with you. I'm, I got a little bit of time left, so I'm going to share it with you anyways. Uh, <clears throat> one time I heard something that somebody had said about me through somebody else who was removed from the situation. Yeah, how dysfunctional is that? And I was talking to one of my mentors about it, and he gave me some really good advice, and maybe this will help you. He told me, next time... He said, next time, instead of addressing the situation, ask that person why the other person felt comfortable to say that to them about you. I thought, ooh, that's good. You know, I never had anybody say anything to me bad about my wife. I don't think they'd feel very comfortable. But here's what I want to get to. This is all going somewhere. There's nothing wrong with comfort, but we need to be careful about the source of our comfort, where we're getting it from. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. This is what the Bible says. It says, blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all Comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort others, those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And if you search the scriptures about comfort, you will find many commands in the Bible to comfort others, and you will find many promises that God will comfort you. But one thing you will never find is permission to comfort yourself. But in this scripture, I want to go to verse 3. It says that God will comfort us in all our tribulation, or all our trouble. I want to talk about that because that doesn't mean that God caused the trouble. 
It means that God will comfort you as you go through the trouble. And I think while I'm on that, uh, a lot of us are too quick to blame the devil for our trouble. When if we're just being honest, a lot of it is our dumb decisions. Amen, somebody? I'll just leave it at that. Could it be possible that your comfort is keeping you from your calling? See, what the devil wants us to do is to run towards comfort in places that are dysfunctional, that are outside of our calling, to keep us comfortable in dysfunction so we'll never see our destiny come to pass. And trouble and conflict is not always bad. When we allow God to work in the situation and teach us and stretch us, trouble can be the means of transformation. But you can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. Confronting dysfunction in your lives can be very difficult. And you need the right people because you can't do it alone. What does the Bible say? If you want victory, if you want to live in freedom, first of all, you need a real relationship with Christ. And you need a real relationship with your church family. James 5.16, the Bible says, confess your trespasses to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. That's why you need a small group. That's why you need a group of people surrounding you. Next, uh, next weekend, the 30th, and February 6th, we're going to be having small groups, fairs, that's what we call them, out in the lobby where you can meet our group leaders and talk to them, ask them questions, and figure out which group is going to work for you. And if I can just take a moment to brag about our church, I'll do it. Even if I don't have permit, I'll do it anyway. Um, your senior pastor is leading a small group. Your associate pastor is leading a small group. Pastor Eric is leading a, a small group. And we have many faithful leaders who are leading one. Uh, I love that we're a church where, I mean, your pastoral staff, we, we're all leading small groups. We believe in the vision and the importance of groups so much so that we all lead one. And we know that real freedom happens in the context of authentic relationships, of authentic, actually, let me say it like this, authentic godly relationships. the way that God designed church to be. That's how you're going to find freedom. Matt Chandler, he says that being 99% seen is being 100% in the dark. You need somebody in your life who's walking with the Lord who you can talk to about the dysfunction in your life so you can confront that together. And you need Someone, not everyone. Let me say that one more time. You need someone, not everyone. Please don't tell every uh, intimate detail. And I'm not talking about going to pastoral step. That's not what I'm talking. I'm talking, don't tell every detail of every problem in your life to everybody you meet. That person is called Karen. I'm just joking. If your name is Karen in the room, I'm so sorry. I made that joke at your expense. You need somebody, though, who can hold you accountable. That's how you're going to get the victory in your life. When you're pressing into the presence of God with other Bible-believing Christians who can hold you accountable. And here's the thing. Small groups at first might be uncomfortable at first. But by the end of it, you're going to leave with people you're doing life with who are good for you and good to you. And you're going to have people who are uplifting and loving and truthful and positive. And that's what you need. That's how God designed it to be. And one more thing before I pray and close this service. I just want to say, as Christians... I think that we've allowed some things to get 
a little bit too comfortable in our presence. I think that it's, it's time to raise the standard a little bit. And what I mean is how we act, what we say, how we treat people. I know Jesus gets part of your Sunday morning, but does he get Monday through Saturday too? And I, I love you, and that's why I need to tell you the truth about this, because I think it's time that we raise the standard together. Amen, somebody? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we love you so much, God. I thank you that you're speaking to people exactly where they are right now, that you're moving on people's hearts. God, I, I pray that you do what I can't do, that you're, you're, you're opening hearts to see you in a fresh way. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room today and you've heard the message about Jesus and it's resonated, but you've never made the decision to make him your savior, today is the day. Today is the day. Who is Christ? He's the perfect, sinless son of God, the lamb of God who died on a cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven and was raised from the dead three days later so that we could have victory in him. When we make him Lord, we're not just saved from our sins. We're saved for an eternal purpose to make a difference for God in this world. If you're in the room today and you recognize that you need forgiveness, the time is right now. We're going to be saying a prayer uh, it's a, a prayer of salvation. It's a prayer that is declaring the lordship of Christ. You're going to be surrounded by people who are saying this with you to support you and as a declaration of their faith as well. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and uh, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And so we're going to uh, pray this prayer. And the Bible says if you mean it, you'll be saved. And so we're going to do that right now. Repeat this after me. Lord, I come before you today in search of a new way. You said in your word, if I would call Jesus Lord, that I would be saved. Jesus, I now call you Lord. I believe that God raised you from the dead. Forgive me of my sins. And cleanse me of my unrighteousness. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for washing me clean. Thank you for putting your spirit in me. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said together, amen. Come on, give God praise this morning for those people. Guys, they went from life, from death to life. In Jesus' name. Hey, if you made that decision today. If you are in this room and maybe you made that decision for the first time or you made a recommitment to the Lord, please do let somebody know. We're going to have prayer partners up at the front to pray with you, to agree with you. If you made it, if you're willing to be bold, brazen a little bit, come down because we have some uh, a book, a mini book and some 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 content for you. We don't want to just... Uh, get you the fire insurance and then not give you any instruction afterwards. We want to we wanna see you through this process. You know what I'm talking about? Amen, somebody? Hey, you can stay seated, seated just for a moment. Uh, I do have a couple of announcements uh, before we pray and dismiss. Uh, the first being January 27th. That is this Thursday. We have a prayer meeting. Uh, it's going to be powerful. You're going to want to make plans to be there. This is going to be, uh, 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 think about it uh, like a night of worship with some uh, uh, focused prayer time in it. It's not going to be weird. You know our flow and how we do things. We don't do things out of order. Uh, it's going to be powerful. So plan on this Thursday. That's at 6.30 right here. It's 60 minutes long. Uh, also, groups launch on February Six. That is not this next weekend, but the one after that. As I said, groups fair the lobby. 
uh, this next weekend and February 6th. Also, New Chapel Connect, stay with us. If you came to first service, like obviously you all did, uh, it's after the 11 a.m. service in the auditorium. If you've never gone through it, go to Panera or with Target. I don't know. Gross. Tar- I don't Maybe don't go to Target, but go somewhere, come back uh, after the 11 a.m. service right in the auditorium. We'll have lunch and child care provided. It'll take you from invite to involvement. Also, go team if you're in the room. uh, Go team rally point next week. We want to rally together, give some vision right in the auditorium after the 11 a.m. service. Y'all still trekking with me? It's a lot of announcements. Still trekking with me? Okay. Yes. Awesome. Uh, Also, two things. Uh, the planners, if you haven't got your planner, if you want to organize your entire life, we're selling planners at guest services. And I don't know how much they cost, and I didn't talk to Pastor Joe about this. Sometimes you just got to ask for forgiveness. and not, We're going to do it for half off today. And so if you want them, they're half off. I don't even know if that's a thing. In the th- I'm looking at my guest services people. We might have to s- make a new button for that on the thing, but we'll do them half off today. Um, And then lastly, uh, Pastor Joe and Kaya celebrated their 11th uh, year anniversary. Yeah, you can, absolutely. And we kind of have this thing at the church when it's our anniversary. Uh, It's kind of like, you don't have to go, but you can't stay here kind of a thing. Like go, like you can't be here. You're going to go enjoy your anniversary and have a little time to yourselves and and be a married couple, and, and so, uh, but he's excited to come back, wrap up the series next week, uh, Brazen Jesus, and we have a big announcement. You're not going to want to miss it next week. Big announcement with some vision attached to it. Amen, somebody? All right, would you stand up with me? Lift your hands for the blessing. I'm so, I'm so grateful. Before I pray, I'm so grateful that I get to be a part of this church. I'm I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. Thank you guys for everything you do. I'm I'm grateful for it. All right, now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, have an awesome week, New Chapel.